I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist. And this is a space for young people, families, and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness better. I'm here to help you make sense of the most complex of issues in the simplest of ways. Let me walk you through topics that are important to you, from autism to trauma and from depression to self-harm. In this podcast, I'll bring you expertise, explain the science and equip you with practical tips and knowledge. Join me, Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, for 30 minutes every Wednesday on all listening platforms. Today we're talking about trauma in children and teens. And I'm going to start this episode with a few points. The first point is that this is a very sensitive topic and I'm very mindful of that. So if you feel triggered by this content for any reason, just shut it off and go have a deep breath, reach out to your support network. Even if you want to go come back to listen to it, make sure that you come back to listen to it when you're ready and you're in a space to do so. The second thing I'm going to talk about before we start off is that this is a sensitive topic for parents. As I'm going through examples of trauma, there are things that might trigger some parents. So some parents might listen to this and think, you know, I'm a bad parent or feel guilty about things. It's important to remember that I'm talking about persistent consistently traumatic events. I'm not talking about your everyday family life. And when we're talking about what trauma is and what it does to children, we're not trying to say, you know, you have to subscribe to this bubblegum image of a family that is perfect all the time, that never has any difficulty in their lives and never has any arguments or any problems. And there is no version of parent out there who is completely perfect. And we're going to talk about this a little bit today, about what makes that difference between everyday life and what counts as traumatic or damaging. Okay, so let's go straight away into the topic. And today we're going to talk about what is trauma, what it does to people who are growing up, children and teens, and how it shows itself in children and teens. We're going to talk about what PTSD means, what complex PTSD means, and we're going to talk about treatment very briefly. So let's talk about what trauma is and why is it bad. So it used to be that people thought that trauma has to be something like major, something newsworthy, like an earthquake or a war. And it used to be that they thought that if you start to struggle after a trauma, it only relates to the trauma if it uh, that if it relates to that particular event, only if it occurred within a certain window after that event. So within a few months of that event, within six months of that event, if it happens after that, it, you know, it's not related. And, and that's not an exact figure I'm talking about, you know, after within six months is okay. After six months used to be something. After one year used to be something else. So there used to be like a time limit on how much people are expected to struggle. 
And there used to be a very limited definition of what can be seen as a traumatic event. So you have to have lived through it. It has to have threatened your life. There used to be a lot of constriction on how we use the term trauma. And with time and with developing understanding of how the mind works, it is now seen from a diagnostic perspective from where like doctors like me or psychologists or professionals will look at it. It is now common language to use the term trauma to describe or traumatic event to describe something that you've lived through, you've heard about from someone else, or you've seen witnessed through real life or through TV or through your phone, or also something that you've heard the details of from someone you care about. So for example, an example that's mentioned in in the DSM, that's one of the diagnostic books, is the example of police officers getting details of abuse from um, from children or from victims. So that counts as trauma now. And the idea of what is considered life-threatening is also becoming more and more elastic and more and more um, flexible. So we're now becoming more understanding that people experience life events very differently. And this has never been more true than it is for children. Because for children, some things that you might, as an adult listening to this, for example, you might see that as, oh, it's fine. And a common example of this is parental arguments. So if there are two parents in a home and there are arguments or there's a, two carers or two family members who are really important in that child's life and an argument happens, it depends very much on that child's age and their understanding of the world, their understanding of language, their understanding of context. All of these things can define for that child the extent of that argument. It can make it so that child thinks that this argument is the end of the world because children are equipped with a very special sixth sense. They're capable of detecting your emotional state. Most of the time, most children are. And they're especially if you're their carer. So especially if you're their carer, they're able to pick up on whether you're anxious, you're distressed, you're angry, or you're feeling threatened. And that does not always come with a context. So sometimes if you're having an argument with your partner or with someone in your household about something that for adults is silly and probably something we'll, we're going to get over after this discussion, it might not look or sound as simple to a child witnessing this. And for them, it might count as a serious threat to their entire existence because, for example, a common one is when children tell me from their perspective about um, parents arguing at home. 
the children will tell me something about, I'm hearing arguments all the time. They're being very nasty to each other. They're getting a divorce. There's no two ways about it. And for me, as you know, a 10-year-old in this situation, I'm thinking, dad is going to have a new partner. Mom is going to be upset and start drinking. I'm going to be all alone. No one is going to look after me. And it starts this whole cascade of worry. And then I talk to the parents and they tell me, well, we're arguing about milk because we're having this, these communication issues or we're short on money and it's just exploding in our relationship. We have no plans to separate. We love each other. It's just how we communicate. And it really strikes me sometimes that children don't always express these fears to their parents. And parents feel that they're in the dark about how worried their child is about the relationship. And often it's because it's just for them, it's an argument. It never came up in discussion that we need to debrief or, or have a chat, a family chat about um, how these arguments are affecting the kids or give them a space to talk about it because it's just arguing around, you know, about milk. But it always shocks me that then the family starts to see um, the child struggle and they don't understand what is going on, what is causing this struggle, what is there in their life that's difficult. They go to a good school or they have everything they want. Why are they struggling? Why are they um, depressed? Why are they self-harming? And, and then it transpires that it's because of that sense of threat. It's because of that feeling like they don't understand the whole picture. All they see is threat. That's an everyday example of what a traumatic event can look like. It can be just marital discord. I'm not going to even attempt to class Abuse is a traumatic event because it's just, it just is. And it is not a run of the mill thing. It is as um, calamitous, as disastrous as an earthquake. And experiencing secondhand abuse is as damaging as experiencing firsthand abuse. So, children who witness domestic abuse, whether it be violence, whether it be verbal abuse, whether it be emotional abuse, coercive control, children who witness that kind of damaging behavior are affected by it as much as the um, person who's being abused. And I, I hear that sometimes about, oh, it was just me. It was just me who was being abused. Um, my partner never laid a hand on my child. They, they treated them like a king or like a queen. And it was just me. And people are not always aware of the damage that can be caused by just witnessing a person that this child loves and who's they, who they are attached to experiencing such threat and such damage. The other thing that people sometimes discount is children overhearing accounts of abuse. So, um, or accounts of, of traumatic events. So children overhearing adults. The other thing that people also will sometimes discount is parentified children. So children who 
are looked at or viewed in the role in the family as older than their years. Most of the time, it's children who are very clever, very um, verbally, you know, intuitive, very good at talking and very helpful and very selfless. And adults in the family will start depending on this child for advice or depending on this child for support. And they forget that that's a child and they forget that I'm complaining to a 10-year-old about my relationships or my um, history of abuse when I should be the grown-up in this relationship. I should be the person who is there to support them. And this um, mismatch in how children will exist in a family is very traumatic. So what I'm trying to say is trauma can be anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. I mean anything that was damaging or threatening for this child. There are traumatic events that happen once or twice, an incident, an incident of abuse or an incident of violence or an incident of um, experiencing something um, critical like an earthquake or, a, or um, experiencing um, a robbery, something that happens a one-off or twice and that's it. And that's really difficult, but sometimes chronic trauma, trauma that's more sustainable and consistent is even more damaging. So the ex going through years of your life with the expectation that something bad is going to happen, the anticipation of something bad happening can be even more damaging than the actual bad thing happening. And we see that a lot in children who grow up in abusive homes or children who are growing up in um, zones where, uh, war zones, where there is consistent threat to safety. Children who grow up in deprivation, where there's consistent threat of hunger or uh, being without shelter. So living in that consistent threat is damaging. Repetitive incidents of trauma are also damaging, obviously. So you have to think, when we're thinking about trauma, you have to think about what is the personal experience? What is, and I keep using this term all the time, what is the subjective experience? What is the person telling you had happened? What are they telling you they've felt and experienced? And when I'm assessing for this in clinic, I make sure that I get two separate views. One is from the pa patient themselves, the child or the young person themselves, and one from an onlooker. If the parent or uh, the carer was part of the traumatic incident, I try to get a third party view. So sometimes parents go through these difficult situations together with the child as well. And that really colors their experience and their ability to cope and manage things. And sometimes that builds into a damaging cycle where the parent is struggling, the child is struggling, and then the child struggling makes the parent struggle more. And often in these situations, you need a third party to give you an objective view of how 
these guys are managing, what is going on, what had actually happened from a third party perspective as well. So when we're assessing this, we try to get the black and white facts where we can about what happened. And then we try to also get a personal view of everything. When I'm assessing for for uh, for trauma, I don't often ask my patients to tell me what happened. So some patients are very comfortable with telling the story of the incident. Some will have a very um, almost prepared um, narrative of what happened so that you know because they've, they've been asked about it so many times so they they've kind of they kind of usually come prepared they know what they're going to say um and they make it so it's not triggering for them so they make it so it's like a short sentence that's that doesn't have a lot of details but like explains the situation and some people just don't want to talk about it they don't want to touch it and of course, if it's a child who's younger than 10 or in an age where we tend to play or we use art, then we use that. And again, some children are some children will go ahead and try to express something about, about what they've been through, through drawing or through play. And some will just try not to go there at all and will take multiple um, tries to try and get what is going on. But actually... When I'm trying to make an assessment of trauma and how it affects a, ch a child or a young person, I'm not that much bothered about the details of what happened. Again, I want to know what happened in terms of the facts, but that's not the headline. The headline is what is going on for this young person? What is going on in their internal world? And let's talk about how traumatic events affect your internal world. Let's talk about biology first, how it affects your literal brain. And then let's talk about how it affects your emotions. So your literal brain, you're a growing child, a child who is, whose internal biology, their internal chemistry is all developing. It's all trying to bloom. It's all trying to work its way into a healthy grown-up, a healthy brain. And it's trying to make sense of events, store them in your memory so that you can remember how things work, try to uh, work on your anxiety so you can be calm and do the things that you want. But also at the same time, you have a sense of danger and you can protect yourself when you need to. So it's your system is trying to get you in a spot where you're safe, but also careful, but also confident. You remember things, but you're not obsessing over them. And it's just developing, right? And then something bad happens. And your whole system literally just goes into shock. Your chemistry goes into shock. Your whole body goes into shock. And often the first responder here is a part of your brain. And if you've listened to the anxiety episode, it's a part of your brain that tries to um, scream out and say, you know, run, run or freeze. And that part of your brain has developed over, you know, thousands of years ago to try and keep you safe from all the dinosaurs, monsters and things that 
used to want to hunt us down. And this part of your brain is called the amygdala. Never mind the name, but this part of your brain is responsible for anxiety reflexes, right? And this part of your brain is the first responder. It pumps your body with adrenaline. It helps you try to cope. And then you've got a part of your brain that stores memories of this event. So it tells you basically that don't go through that creek because there's a dinosaur that will come, you know, forget that we never really lived with dinosaurs for a minute, but let's just imagine a world where we did. And um, your brain is trying to tell you that if you go around that creek, you're going to encounter danger. This part of your brain usually will want to store that information and then bring it out when you need to think about which way I need to go um, to try and get to my destination. So this part of your brain will remember details about the event. Now you see what I'm trying to get at. So when that event was is really big and damaging, it usually brings your system into overdrive. And people ask me about this a lot. What makes one person go through a trauma and then come out the other side, fine, couple of weeks maximum, they deal with it. And some people will go through trauma and never recover. There, is multiple, there are multiple factors that go into that, but there is no guarantee of who will develop PTSD and who won't. What we know is that depending on a lot of factors, sometimes people will be able to digest a traumatic event and will be able to move on from it, excrete it almost like digesting a sandwich. And some people won't. Some people will choke on that bite of a sandwich and will continue to experience it over and over and over in the form of flashbacks or in the form of intrusive memories. There, that part of the brain that does memory just gets stuck. And every time it makes them relive that event, they go through the whole thing again. They go through the anxiety, the fear, the fight or flight again. And what this, how this affects their behavior is they try to avoid it. So children will stop going to school or stop wanting to sleep in that same bed or stop wanting to be around that particular parent or stop wanting to eat that particular food in, in a way, trying to avoid triggers, avoid things that might remind them, might take them back to that place. That's PTSD, essentially. PTSD is when you experience those memories over and over, sometimes actually feel like you're reliving them, like you're there again. You don't have to relive the exact events, but sometimes just relive the emotion, the fear, the anger, the sense of stuckness and helplessness. And what, what people can see on the outside is somebody who's very angry, who's lashing out, who's withdrawn, who's unpredictable. What you're experiencing on the, on the inside can be just bouts of anger. And sometimes it takes us a few tries to try and find out what's behind those bouts of anger. Is this you thinking about something and that's making you angry? Is that something that's triggering you? Or is it just a flashback, an emotional flashback? Sometimes kids will talk about physical symptoms. 
very young kids often experience emotions. And in the anxiety episode, we talked about this, that sometimes children, um, very young children will experience physical symptoms, experience tummy aches or will experience problems um, with pain or knee aches or things like that. And once you've investigated physically and found out there's nothing there, you start to realize, okay, maybe that's related to something else. Maybe it's related to anxiety or trauma. And when trauma is repetitive or more the, the nature of it is more damaging. So we talk about the quality of trauma sometimes. So abuse coming from someone who's not in your circle of trust is very different from abuse coming from someone that you trust, like a parent or an uncle or someone that you really put your guards down around. Something ha bad happening in a concert is very different from something bad happening in your school where you feel safe. So depending on the quality of trauma, the impact of it can be massive. Other things also go into that, like your background, your genetics, how you grew up, environment around you, how you watch grown-ups grown around you cope with trauma as well are factors. If all of these factors combine into the perfect storm, then you have that trauma start to affect your development, how you actually develop as a person, how you relate to others and to the world, how you experience reality, how you experience relationships, how you experience yourself, how you, you, how you view yourself. Sometimes I see children and young people who have experienced trauma and that traumatic event changes how they view themselves. They see themselves with shame and guilt and they see themselves in a negative light. And if that's been happening over ages of time, it starts to become built into your personality. As you develop, your sense of yourself becomes really uh, affected. And that basic understanding of I am worthy, I am good, I am safe becomes affected. And there's a term that's been lended to this experience. It's called complex PTSD. And it's relatively new, that name, but we used to describe it before the name came out and it used to have a lot of names. One of those days we're going to talk about complex PTSD and borderline personality and how close they are in, as a descriptor. But complex PTSD is an experience where you have a combination of PTSD symptoms. So having that flashbacks, nightmares, sense of being overvigilant, anxious, angry, that emotional upheaval, avoiding triggers, avoiding uh, things that remind you of the event, plus persistent changes to how you behave, how you relate to others, and how you experience the world. And the biggest and most annoying symptom to people is the emotional dysregulation. That's fancy talk for emotional 
kind of turmoil, mood swings, feeling like your emotions are out of control. When these happen together, we call them complex PTSD. And there is discussion around whether complex PTSD is really borderline personality disorder because they're very, very close. But that's a discussion for another day. Now, let's talk about treatment. Let's talk about what can help. There are a lot of things that can help. I think the first thing is an understanding. Often what we end up doing, my patients and I, is draw out the story into a little timeline. And I have a colleague who does trauma-focused CBT and who's very good at working through those timelines with young people. And having that visual representation of my life story puts the incident, the trauma, into context. That I might have experienced trauma for a period of time, but I actually, I lived 14 years. Because trauma does a horrible thing, which is steal away our memories. It hijacks things that we should have held with love and with happiness, things that might have brought to us a smile. The trauma hijacks it. It stops you from remember it, remembering it because it's too difficult. And that's an obvious, um, an obvious example of this is children who've experienced trauma throughout their early life. So they have like 10 years of a gap that they never look back at. 10 years, can you imagine? 10 years of your life that you actively avoid. 10 years of friends, 10 years of funny TV shows, because there was something horrible that was happening during that t- those 10 years that you're trying to avoid remembering. So reclaiming that lost history, that stolen time is part of the treatment. So working on things like trauma-focused CBT is really helpful. And I think I'm going to have a whole episode to talk about that and talk about how it works for young people. And something called EMDR, if you've heard about it, EMDR is a therapy that functions around that whole memory thing. When we talked about how your brain holds memory of bad things so it protects you, What EMDR does is basically it tries to stimulate your brain by getting your eyes to look at things. So usually they have flashlights, right? But let's use my hands. Sometimes they use hands and they go like, you know, look at my fingers or look at this, look at this. And they'll get you to engage. So you're um, really distracted. You're engaging your brain. And then they ask you to remember the event in your mind. And what they're trying to do is restructure your memory in a way, restructure your memory so that the event is placed a little bit, is metabolized a little bit better in your brain. So you don't feel that emotional upheaval every time you remember it. And I mean, just by telling you this, it's the nature of trauma-focused CBT and EMDR and all trauma-focused treatments is that they ask the person to try and remember the event. So that means that it's not everyone who's going to be able to do that. Sometimes we focus on managing the symptoms. Sometimes if the person is not ready, and a lot of the time, by the time 
people come to us, they're experiencing PTSD and depression or PTSD and anxiety or PTSD and panic. So by the time they come to us, they're really, really struggling. And we have to treat them first to bring them to a place where they're able to cope with the trauma-focused work. So sometimes we need to give medication first or give CBT for depression or CBT for anxiety to manage the symptoms first. Because you can't ask someone who's really in a very bad place to come into therapy session after session a week apart or a couple of days apart and relive the thing that has been tormenting them. So we really make sure that we have a plan that suits the person, suits the young person and suits their family as well. because. With children and young people, as I said earlier, the parents are struggling, the family is struggling. Guilt becomes a very big part of the survival of this family. Everyone in the family needs help in their own way. And in our work, we take into consideration who is looking after this child primarily and are they okay? Are they able to cope? How can we help them cope? So these are all things that go into thinking about treatment. There is no medication that works specifically for PTSD, but there are antidepressants that we sometimes use to support mood and to support with anxiety symptoms if we need to. We don't usually expect young people to remain on medication for a prolonged period of time, but we do, like I said, use medication sometimes to bring people into a space where they can cope. Very young children are a little bit different. So very young children who cannot engage in um, kind of CBT, which is very, CBT is a very, um, and if you want to go back to my psychotherapy episode, I explain a little bit more about CBT. But CBT requires a degree of being able to reflect on your thoughts and feelings and behaviors. So very young children normally can't. We use play therapy and art therapy and things that engage the child in a relationship with an adult who is caring and supportive and can give them that safety and safe environment. And often children, as they progress during that relationship, they start by themselves bringing into the sessions their negative experience by drawing it, by discussing it, by playing it out, acting it out with toys, and that's their way to process it. And I hear this sometimes with from families, you know, sometimes, and I can, I can remember someone who said that to me before, that um, they've been through a car accident and the child was reenacting it, the car accident, and they were wondering if that's normal. And that's absolutely normal. Children acting out, bad things or things that are scary is absolutely normal. It's their way of trying to metabolize it, to digest it. It becomes problematic if it affects how they behave, if it affects how they relate to adults, if it affects their emotions, if it affects all of these things for a significant period of time and they can't cope with it over time. They don't heal. So today we talked about trauma. We talked about what is considered trauma and what it can do and what it can look like. And we talked about what treatments can be out there for trauma. We're going to talk about trauma-focused CBT in a separate episode. We're going to talk about complex PTSD and borderline personality disorder in a separate episode as well. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid, wishing you well.